Yeah, I I got um, the kind of the hat and the wig. I think in the in the sort of it was like a Caribbean kind of moo moo that <laughs> <laughs> like something B Arthur might have worn to Caribana. <laughs> Hello, hello, TGIT. Almost F, almost F. One more day. This is You Made Me Queer, and I'm your host, Trevor Campbell. First, I would like to send a huge thank you to the folks at Yo Homo because You Made Me Queer has been named one of the top queer podcasts of 2021. I know it's March 11th, so um, early days, right? But it's a huge honor, especially for a new podcast. So I'm really thrilled and really grateful. Thank you so much. And on the heels of that, I have a request. I would like you... No, no. Use your big boy words. I demand that you tell someone about You Made Me Queer if you like it. If you've been enjoying this podcast, why don't you this weekend at some point tell someone about your new favorite podcast? And if they already know, tell someone else. It's like that Japanese horror movie Ringu where you watch the video and you will die unless you make someone else watch the video, in which case they will die. Good news, this podcast won't kill you. You are following the uh, civilian's Hippocratic Oath by passing on You Made Me Queer to someone you love. Another bit of housekeeping, talking about the You Made Me Queer mailbag. We're not just looking for queer awakening stories. You can send in anything. For example, do you have an idea for Queer, Queer, We're Queerist? Which is our game where people list things in order from least queer to most queer, three things. Or maybe you want to report something in your neighborhood or city that you think might be making people queer. We want to know. Some might say it is your duty. Or maybe you just want to say hi. That's great too. As I've said and will continue to say, I live in a basement and correspondence keeps me alive. So with that in mind, please write in. That's youmademequeer at gmail.com. Okay, today's episode is a big one for me because I'm going to be talking to one of my very best friends in the whole world, Mr. J. Sean Elliott. To know J. Sean is to love J. Sean And soon you will know and love Jay Sean if you don't already. Jay Sean is a director, actor, singer, and writer who has been working professionally in film and theater for almost 30 years. He is the funniest part of many of your favorite TV commercials. And actually, performing in music theater is how we first met about 15 years ago. We were in a musical together called Funny Business the Musical which was sort of like a musical version of The Office, in which Jay Sean played the boss, and I played the intern who wore a lot of sweater vests. Jay Sean has also released two albums of original songs, one called No Name Canadian Stars with music by David Warwick, and At Least I've Got My Looks, for which he wrote both music and lyrics. Almost an EGOT. Jay Sean is also one of the wisest 
savviest uh, and silliest people I know. Truly, 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 he is a goof for all seasons. And, uh, and we love him for it. So, on that note, please enjoy my surreal conversation with the lovely Jay Sean Elliott. It looks awfully bright where you are. You went for a nice winter walk this morning. I did indeed. Yes, it it um it's absolutely glorious out today. Define glorious because it's also freezing. Yeah, you know, I didn't find it that bad. Not as bad as yesterday. And um with the sunshine, what the hell have you got to complain about? <laughs> Do you know what? I'll always find something. People who are listening are really missing out because Jay Sean has just revealed he is sitting behind some kind of like mesh that would hang from like a beret in front of your face to sort of obscure those smoky eyes. Yes, yes. I do like to keep a bit of mystery for my public. <laughs> you know, if they knew in this youth obsessed society actually how old I am, I would be uh, kicked to the curb pretty fast. You're being modest. You have 16 to 24 months left. Easy. Well, fingers crossed. It feels like this interview is starting to take up most of that time. So, <laughs> uh, Also, it's good to a bit of a facial obscurity. It's like when you stare directly into the sun, it's too strong. So I need to, I need a couple buffers in between me and that megawatt face. Well, just a, just a bit of a screen to, to really, you know, keep your retina safe, which is one of my many charities <laughs> I support. Keep your retina safe, Canada. I I live in a basement, so my retinas are just fine, thank you. If anything, I'm turning into some sort of like subterranean creature who just senses things through sonar. I just kind of bark into the darkness, and that's how I get a sense of where I am. Yes, I, I found when I lived in a basement um, that my eyes just slowly, you know, crept upwards. Just, you know, uh, Darwinism took over, and I started <laughs> to look like one of those startling sea creatures that they find in deep ocean water. Just antennas <laughs> with lights on the end of them. With no pigment, um, <laughs> and completely transparent except for your milky teeth. That's going straight into the OK Cupid profile. Um, well, get them while they're hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm glad you're getting a bit of sunshine to delay that transparency, which, you know, is coming for us all. The great transparency. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in Back to the Future when as they're approaching death or, or not being real, they turn transparent when they look at their own hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what's happening to all of us because we're not getting outside. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it feels right. Most of my photographs are fading away. Just, the, <laughs> just me and them. Listen, as long as I get to be the Michael J. Fox in this situation? Always. Oh my goodness. You are as youthful and charming and as scamp-like <laughs> as the eternally young Michael J. Fox. And anachronistic. And I think this is a good segue to introduce my guest today, uh, Mr. J. Sean Elliott, who has always been the Christopher Lloyd to my Michael J. Fox. Oh, hi. The eccentric, nutty <laughs> professor who really fills out a lab coat, one might say. Thanks. J. Sean is an actor, a producer, a director, a chanteuse, a cabaret slug, and uh, someone that I am eternally a fan of. Um, no matter which medium he is straddling, and he straddled quite a few. Well, we won't we won't go into that. But um, <laughs> cabaret slug is a very tiny niche. But <laughs> I have, you know, with some modesty, have to admit I really have cornered that market. 
you want to do something where you can be an authority. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, I love being I love being an authority. And you <laughs> We've already talked about the way you really can fill out a crevice, a dark crevice. So slug seems like a good What is happening? I don't know. This can't air this can't air before 10 p.m. It's just lewd. I don't, I, I don't know what you ate for breakfast, but I think uh, we really should move on to more seemly topics. I think the uh, the Christian Family Association or whatever agency is working overtime to keep us in line is going to have a fit. Oh my goodness, that that, sen- that sensor button is going to have a deep indentation in it. <laughs> They're just hammering it down. Yeah, it's hitting it like a like a whack a mole with a <laughs> with one right. of those mallets. This whole thing is just going to be redacted when it goes to air. It's just going to be like an air raid siren for sixty minutes. And you know what? It may actually improve the content. Uh, hope springs eternal. <laughs> so, Jay Sean, you're here today because, uh, I mean, you are someone who is known amongst your peers as a big old queer. I am? Hey, no, but but also why we're here today is this isn't your fault. And we know that now. We know through science and through many discoveries that have been made that this is not your fault and how easy it is actually to become queer. Um, for example, inhaling too much of a Glade plug-in, eating too many taquitos. Mm-hmm. All these things can make you queer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a relief, isn't it, at the end of the day, to know that that it's it's not our fault. You know that that there is someone or something to blame. That's right, and that is where true happiness resides. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if you look hard enough in life, you can blame someone or something else for everything, and I encourage you to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, no, I, that's. Um, that's an ancient truth, and um, you got to stick with what works. And blame is, uh, you know, one of those majestic truths that we all can hang our mystic's hat on. That kind of pointy mystic's hat. That's right. The pointy with the the felt stars on it, like Mickey Mouse wears in Fantasia. That's the hat. That's the hat. That's the hat. And and just as we've once read, when Buddha climbed up the tree of truth and later descended the mountain with those tablets wrapped in swaddling clothes, as the ancient myth goes, he he taught us that blame is at the heart of everything. And that's why I've invited you here today. Because when I think of blame and I think of revenge, uh, misplaced anger, mm-hmm. I think of you. Mm, oh, thank you. And I, bl- I personally blame you for a lot. Mm-hmm. But I know you... Uh, <laughs> I also wanted to give you a platform to blame some others. Yeah, well, that's the only way it works, right? You've got to... If you can't pay it forward... Um... <laughs> that's what that meant. Yeah, yeah. That movie with Haley Joel Osment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's underneath. It's really a metaphor for blame. <laughs> um, people think it's about buying the next person a coffee. But really, you're just blaming them for being in your way. And, you know, the faster you can pay for their order, the faster they'll be out of your way. <laughs> so anytime you feel a sense of guilt, like maybe I did something wrong, the other side of that coin is blame. And I encourage you to flip that coin and uh, and pay it forward, as Jay Sean has said. So enough ribble rabble, as they say. And <laughs> let's they... uh, let's pass the... <laughs> maybe the Hamburglar said, the hamburglar said that. <laughs> rabble rabble. <laughs> And as Grimace and Hamburglar once said, the original, I mean, speaking of queers, whenever two people of the same sex gently flirt with each other, Grimace gets a little shiver up his spine. Does it, Grimace does not have a spine. I don't believe so, but, I, but I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> That's right. Let's leave that to the pros. But as far as the Hamburglar goes, I have to say, I don't think any self-respecting gay man would wear horizontal stripes. 
every day. Absolutely not. No, no, no. No, that's a weird choice. The cape, yes. The sort of short Spanish hat, no question. Yeah, the mask. I mean, the mask is a bit of mystery. But that aside, this is your chance, Jay Sean, to finally uh, set the record straight, so to speak, and tell us who made you queer. Well, um, I, I think um, I think there might be a few culprits, but really the 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 main thing really was the new wave movement, music movement of the the nineteen eighties, most specifically Culture Club. Okay, okay. So how old were you at this time, if you don't mind me asking? That's a bit rude, but I'll allow it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I was, uh, that would have been in, and I was in high school. So, you know, I would have been around 15, I, I think, when I noticed Boy George and, and Culture Club. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really, I didn't have any defense for it, you know, because I bore somewhat of a resemblance to him. I, I went out as Boy George for Halloween in 1983. And um, I got, you know, a lot of attention, which didn't help. In the papes? In the, in the what? Who gave you this attention? Oh, no, probably two or three friends. <laughs> but that was, you know, more attention than I was used to. And then uh, at, at school, we had a something called Spring Fling Week. That's when all the sailors came to town and you uh, put on those roller skates? No, 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 no. That was Fleet Week. Oh, okay. Spring Fling was uh, every day it would be Hawaiian Day or dressed like a pirate. <laughs> so theme days and specifically about how you dress. Yes. And then one day was dress as a musical group day. Mm -hmm. And I had this costume, so I went to school dressed as Boy George. That's a bit of a ballsy move, because even though Boy George and Culture Club were, you know, mainstream or mainstream adjacent, it is still, it was viewed at the time as a bit of a gender bend, right? Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. And I, I don't know what I was thinking or why it was I felt it was important. But yes, I went in and I dragged outfit mm -hmm. and... Um, um, to my credit and to the credit of, of my high school, I did not uh, get beaten up, which I'm impressed looking back on that. It's a bit of a feat because kids in high school will beat you up for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, was this a Catholic or a public high school? Oh, no, no, public. And uh, good heavens. <laughs> homeschool. Um, <laughs> yeah, homeschool. My mother was so shocked. So I, I just, um, I don't feel like I just had any defense for it, you know, because yeah. how was I supposed to resist that kind of, you know, androgyny um, and the chance to be different? I mean, I, I, I so desperately wanted to be noticed. And um, at the exact same time, I desperately wanted not to be stared at at all. Yes. So um, so I, as I say, really had no choice in the matter. No, what's, what, just to give it some context, what were some other people dressed up as, do you remember, at that time in 1983? No. Okay, but that, like, there were no other Boy Georges as well. Oh, no, there was no, 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 like... no. It would be like people dressed as, you know, the, the, the Beatles or Bruce Springsteen or I don't really remember looking at anybody else but myself all day. <laughs> and nothing's changed. <laughs> but yeah, because even though, I mean, that scene, that new wave scene, I think was pretty popular. It still was a big ballsy move to dress like that. So for you to do that was a pretty enormous statement at that time. Yes. For yourself. Yes, it was. And uh, in fact, uh, not that long after that, I got really carried away and, um, you know, I grew my hair really long, kind of swoopy down in front 
and uh, and I got it uh, permed the front mm-hmm. and um, and and bleached it. You did this as salon, or you did this yourself? Uh, well, I didn't do the no. It wasn't a Tony home perm. I did get the <laughs> perm at a salon. I did dye my hair myself, and uh, my mother was horrified. And so I did dye it back a little. I did walk that back a little bit because uh, <laughs> it was quite white. Anyway, on one hand, it was so important to be different Mm -hmm. and stand out. And at the same time, I just couldn't understand why people were staring at me like I had the head of a bat. And the body of a... Yes. I was going to say mountain goat, but it just (laughs) felt wrong. It felt wrong. (laughs) No. That's my favorite Bible story. The creature with the head of a bat and the body of a mountain goat. (laughs) Yes, it's a beautiful parable. So um, anyway, I was just uh, heading off to university and I had a long black coat and I had my double-breasted shirts and my kind of black clown pants. And I just, it was so important. So for, uh, you know, as I say, so with, with Boy George, uh, who was Boy George and Lennox, these people were really pushing androgyny to a, a new level uh, at that time. David Bowie I get, had started in the, in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I, you know, I had no defense for it. None. Well, nor should you have. But I'm interested, too, because these were all musicians, right? So were you into the music, too, or primarily was it the persona and the sort of behavior of these people no i loved the music Mm. yeah that is is still really my favorite era of you know of pop culture was the 80s it's so great it's still so iconic yeah so going back to that you went to high school for fleet week as i insist on calling it Mm -hmm. uh spirit week or whatever Mm -hmm. uh pirate week and you go in in these clothes and you know, you you do it. You said you didn't get beaten up, but did you get weird stares? Did anyone say anything? Like, what was the reaction? And was it empowering, or were you still kind of on your shaky queer deer legs? Um, yeah, I think that I was on guard, but I think it had just you know, Culture Club had reached just enough of a mainstream status that a lot of people were excited mm. and uh, they just kind of or they just kind of smiled and shook their heads and uh, it was just if I had worn it a year earlier it might have been different but at that time the response was mostly fairly positive I would say or at least not adversarial <laughs> yeah and you'd already also like tried it out for Halloween. So you'd kind of tested the waters and no one had thrown a brick at you. Yeah, well, and I knew I looked good. So, you know, no one could argue with that. And where did you get all the stuff to make this costume? Was it from thrift stores or did you steal it from your mom or something? Yeah, I, I got um, the kind of the hat and the, and the wig, I think, and the, and the sort of it was like a Caribbean kind of moo-moo that Boy <laughs> George wore like early on, like something... B. Arthur might have worn to Caravana, uh, kind of a very long top and white pants and a sort of black Spanish dancer hat uh, because uh, the lady, my father, who's a partner at the time, she had a, she was, had done a lot of Spanish dancing. So she had a, some cool things. And my mother helped me with the makeup. Oh, my God. So it was really kind of a gaggle of women who you either coerced into helping you or you sort of stole some articles from to compile this look. Yeah, yeah, they handed it over. I mean, they just kind of, they, you know, I don't, I don't know that they fully... They were complicit. Yeah, they enabled me. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah. Remember this is about blame, please. So don't let them off easy. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, uh, I, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> also, B. Arthur at Carabana is something I want to talk about for the next 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, probably better than anything else I have to say. <laughs> so this is funny because I think what you said, too, about the way you wanted everyone to notice you and simultaneously you wanted to be left alone and not be noticed. I think that's... I mean, that's very much speaks to the high school experience, unless you're, you know, megawatt popular. Certainly, that was my experience. And doubled up as a queer person, I think that happens a lot of the time where you really want to publish yourself and kind of be seen. And at the same time, you want to completely disappear. You're a victim of it at the same time, right? You're like, yeah, what are what are you looking at? Take a picture, it'll last longer. That's right. And <laughs> but that's the same, that's also as attention, right? That's right. You're you're in like a red sequin gown in ninth grade geography. And you're like, what are you staring at? Never seen red sequins at the second period before? Yeah, get a life. Because I was doing that too. I, for Halloween, I mean, I, I think also for people who worked in the theater, costumes are a huge gateway into trying identities on and trying testing reactions of other people and sort of inhabiting these characters that you know maybe are fantastic or maybe are parts of you Mm -hmm. so for me for halloween i remember very early on going as disney's aladdin styled after disney's aladdin through my interpretation which became me wearing my mother's uh clip-on earrings blush why blush when did aladdin wear blush um sort of uh poncho pants which was really just like a sort of a a weak, quick drag, you could call it. Mm-hmm. And then at another point, I would just dressed as the whole concept was a woman. And it was me. I think it was the same thing. Clip on earrings, someone's dress that we found. To be fair, I've, I've seen you. I've seen you out in the world like that a lot. Well, now I do it a lot because it's worked its way into my rotation. And I, I've, I had to accept how flattering it was on my body. Listen, no arguments here. <laughs> gorgeous coming and going so i did that certainly like it was i i mean i think i was testing things i wanted the attention though big time at that point but then later thinking about high school i completely wanted to disappear and i tried a bunch of i thought skaters were really hot so i started dressing like a skater and i got a skateboard which i think i used once because i realized how dangerous it could be (laughs) so i would just sometimes would just bring it to a friend's house and then put it on the floor and then we would go do a word search or something then walk home (laughs) (laughs) no one got on that skateboard but then later i remember i got into sort of vintage clothing that i would get at thrift stores like sort of 70s era ringer tees i don't quite know what the the mood board was for that but i wanted something that was fitted but the problem is when you get fitted vintage shirts they're short and i was tall so they were all at longest the hem of these would like be dusting the top of my pant line so and at worst when you raise your hands above your head we're talking like um spring break crop top Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that i mean that got and i went to a private catholic school in the rust belt of ohio which sounds expensive but it was not it's don't picture like me in a kilt although you can if you want it sounds like those outfits you were wearing were really for private use only (laughs) private use only because we did have to wear a uniform at school but i remember in gym class 
you could get away with whatever was leisure wear at the time. So I remember wearing those t-shirts because I was like, you know, what's better for sport than a nice fitted ringer tee and then playing volleyball, which is arguably the queer sport. And the boys in my class just yelling fag while I was uh, <laughs> serving the ball. While you were slapping <laughs> at the ball. You were slapping at the ball. Just like mine, mine in my, my cleats. And I remember the boys yelling that and the girls being like, leave them alone, like not coming to my defense and flirting with the boys at the same time. But they they could throw themselves in the line of fire and they wouldn't get in trouble. Yes, absolutely. But if a guy stood up for me, then he looks queer by uh, context. Yeah, girls, girls saved a lot of our lives by doing that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Big time. So that was me. Like, I didn't boy George it. And I would have been scared to go beyond that. But I know that I was like reaching out in my through the way I dressed. And now I'm I mean, I'm recording this in a full unitard. Yes, yes. And now you've, you've taken to wearing the uh, Catholic schoolgirl skirts just up top. <laughs> That's right. But on my terms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've really deconstructed yeah. that. Well, you know, and truly there was this beautiful, uh, tall girl, a friend of mine in high school. She was really cool and she was into new wave music and uh this kind of jerk guy, I remember the only guy who said anything to me said something like, as we walked by, and, and she, she knew him, and he said, uh, oh, he's a fag anyway. And she threw her beautiful hair back and laughed, and she went, what an idiot, <laughs> and walked away. And I went, wow, there's a life lesson. That is the best response I've ever seen. And he just deflated. He had no response to that, right. no defense to this beautiful girl, just diminishing him like that. Right. Oh my God, that's majestic. Yeah, it really was. And then did you, were you obsessed with her from that moment onwards? Yeah, well, we, yeah, we were friends and I just loved that because she was tall and gorgeous and she could, she could get away with that. Yeah. She had that power and, uh, and she had currency in high she school. She had currency and I was safe. But she didn't abuse it. No, she was, I was safe yeah. with her. Yeah. And did you like, did this music and the scene of, 80s new wave also connect you like like with that girl connect you to a community of people who by accepting someone who likes that scene sort of also implicitly supporting queerness in a way oh absolutely oh yeah that was a real mustering point yeah you know that that music and those clubs for um for the the gays if you were a gay yeah um, then, um, yeah, we go dancing and we're, you know, I never did, but you know, of course there was a lot of mascara involved and, um, you know, abs absolutely. It was a huge part of gay culture was yeah that era in mainstreaming uh, a lot of, and even people like at the time, you know, uh, boy George would not, would not say, of course, that he was gay. Um, right now, the thing is that it was rumored that because the drummer of the group, John Moss, who was a very cute straight guy, and um, it was rumored that he and Boy George were having an affair. Mm. And it was just kind of the most delicious rumor that would fuel any teen boy, gay teen boy fantasy. Oh, my God. Of and, course. and it turned out it was true. It was absolutely true. and uh, But you didn't find this out till much later. No, till much later that they were indeed together for four years. And John Moss never had, he, he then got married and had kids with a woman. Right. And never, it, it was the only man that he was ever with. And how on earth, I, who, I had no defense to that. <laughs> absolutely none. 
That's not my fault. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's funny, too, because at that time, like, these quote-unquote queer celebrities, because they really had to dodge those questions unless, you know, you could derail your whole career or just get fully blacklisted by coming out. And you could only find that stuff out through what was published, through an interview or something. Because now we, through Instagram and things like that, you can get a direct line into the lives of these people and truly find out like just how banal their lives are. Watch the boring chia bowl they made for breakfast or whatever. Yeah. But at the time, you had no idea. You had to fill in those blanks. No, you're reading and reading magazines, yeah. right? Like you were reading, there wasn't any internet. Um, and uh, there were, that was the start of, of also uh, music videos, right? So yes. we, we watched music videos obsessively. And I think what people like Boy George what they made possible was for somebody like me to hide in public. Yeah. Because yeah. he was, you know, because he was a lot of straight guys and straight like Duran Duran at the time, you know, a lot of, obviously a lot of straight guy, cool straight guys were in the new wave era and they wore makeup too. And they did, they were part of that whole androgyny uh movement mm -hmm. and um so you were allowed to be androgynous which you weren't necessarily gay so um you know you could live out that bit of that fantasy um until you were safe on the other side too you know that's right because musicians already are using so much metaphor and the way they write lyrics and things and i think queer people from a very young age become attuned to code breaking basically mm. and like sending signals and picking up on signals so through little things like the way you know they dressed or they the the way they crafted this persona they didn't have to be explicit about it so it was like a safe haven for you where you could hide in plain sight but you also learned how to read that language you know and sense those things about they're speaking to me or there's you know they're making something seem possible or okay yeah that i'm part of and i'm part of something yeah i'm part of something yeah totally I'm not alone. And even though it was still scary, you could find way more, more easily and you could identify your community through fashion <laughs> and uh, through how one presented oneself, right? Like you did, there was um, certain things that it was, you know, I guess a uniform like every other era. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, these are real groundbreakers in the movement uh, of, of mainstreaming, I guess, gay culture and making so many of us gay. Yeah, it's, that's right. That's right. And, and also what we didn't touch on is the way in all their music, they would embed that special frequency that um, warps your brain. Mm -hmm. Well, there was the subliminal messaging uh, in the music. There was that. And yeah. um, that made us all infertile as well. Yeah, yeah, and that—that's what it did. What—that's what did it. I mean, I don't think uh, you know my obsession with Judy Garland was part of it, but <laughs> I think it was mostly, mostly culture club. No, so you like you was that a spike in you dressing like that, and then it kind of you transitioned into something a bit more understated. I mean, because you you don't continue to dress in a new wave fashion. To say yeah. the least. So how did that ebb out and how did that how did that go into the next phase of, of you? Um, well, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I would say uh, by the time I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, I think I really had moved on, you know, to other things to wear. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. But no, I did. 
I did uh, move back into a more frump chic, uh, which is my general style. <laughs> frump chic. I can't help but notice now that the older I get, the more I dress like Catherine Hepburn in On Golden Pond. Oh, so what a that, great template, though. Yes, absolutely. And just comfort. Only <laughs> just going fishing. You know. Now, listen, I'll tell you this for free. You can still pull off a trench coat. <laughs> um, yes, well, well, thank you. I've often pulled off a trench coat. <laughs> at the end Put of the a long... On the at the first. end of a Put long... Put it on the dresser. At the end of a long day. I don't know what you're implying. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. I mean, that era and in, in why it was... Why it was so important for me to uh, uh, get in what would be an alternative haircut and sit on a city bus and wonder why people were staring... Yeah. Um, was sort of the the beginnings of anything goes, and now absolutely anything goes. You can your hair is every color it can be, and you can wear any number of piercings. You can get your whole body tattooed. You can wear your rips and your clothing, or this or that. I could wear my clothing from 1984. Nobody would care. It really, I think, is just thrilling that it has become so commonplace that my mother will not turn her head to look at somebody who has multicolored hair <laughs> it's just i just think it's it's just glorious we've come a long way for sure and i think removing concepts of gender from clothes is such is so basic but it's something we're still kind of turning the corner on yeah. and working through I mean, like any store is still going to have the men's section, the women's section, although you go straight to Junior Miss. Hit or miss, I think is more like it. <laughs> Hit or miss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're still working through it, and, and I, I think we will continue to do that positively, and I'm excited about that. But it is, it's important, too. It's empowering the way you choose to dress yourself and present yourself. Well, it, it, always, it, it seems like it always will be. And, of course, there, you know, people's style and how they – appear on Instagram is more important than it's, it's ever been. It's, it's, it's toxic. In fact, <laughs> um, I, I think, um, that people are so obsessed with, with how they look, but well, that's why I've invited you to a podcast medium. Yes. Because, uh, yes. you just get to lose yourself in your lush tones. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm so glad somebody said that my tones are lush. Thank you. <laughs> but, but honestly, like, and there's always, I mean, it, I guess there's a certain rotation in, in, Fashion and things, you know, fashions come and go and then they reappear. But really, anything you can think of and nothing's shocking anymore. You know, like back in the 80s, things were shocking. Hmm. We've lost the, the ability to be shocked by trends, fashion trends. And, and I don't know if that's because of the internet or we're just, we're just used to everything. We see everything now. We watch everything. It's the same for movies and television. We're just, and technology, we're not thrilled by any new technologies because it's just more of the same you know what i mean yeah it's interesting i mean i think there's still the bar moves for sure i i mean i still i don't think we'll lose that sense of wonder and i think as far as sort of queer liberation goes and gender liberation as well i think we're still gonna keep breaking new ground and finding ways to authenticate ourselves in ways that feel really good, maybe that we didn't have the vocabulary for or that people um, wouldn't permit, wouldn't give us space to do. I hope so anyway. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because what is for the generation that, you know, 
I guess it would be harder and harder to make some kind of a statement in fashion or music the way it was in the 80s mm-hmm. because you really had to make a commitment to to something yeah and people would have very very strong ideas about it and and be really surprised things they'd never seen before yeah well i can think of an example now like you know lizzo mm-hmm. lizzo is famous for her body positivity which is just basically shorthand for she doesn't look conventional as far as you know like a pop star or a rap star or like sort of cross genre music and people it kind of blew their mind that she was not apologetic to be a big black woman and instead thought that kind of had clout to it which i think is radical and we're going to continue to do with with you know uh, race and age and lots of things like to be older and to feel powerful about it, I think is would be pretty radical. Uh, why are you looking at me when you say that? I just want to be there for you as you pass into the next world. You big old bat. You'd obviously, you'd obviously be such a comfort to me as I go. <laughs> as you tap your tap your foot and look at your watch, I'd be like, "Can I have your TV?" Say yes, say yes. Write it down, write it down. I see, I see you eyeing my Edie Gourmet albums. <laughs> well, not today, Satan. Not today. I just want claim on what's mine. I put in the work while you were alive. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting that we've come to such a, a just a basic humanity of actually admiring somebody <laughs> for looking exactly as they look. And, and of course, acceptance now is everything. And this is the final, this is the final frontier, folks. This is where in the world, That's right. this is where everybody has to decide whether you can accept your fellow human being. And that's that's what's facing the planet right now. Hashtag free grimace. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. Yes, yes. Uh, so, Jay Sean, thank you so much for taking us down uh, memory lane right back to your big gay high school debut. Yes. And before I say goodbye to you, I'd like to play a little game. Oh, Does that sound okay? Uh, all right. All right. Okay. This game is called queer queerer queerist Mm -hmm. because it's very difficult to say and i like to challenge myself yeah the rules of this game are simple i'm going to give you three things you have to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why okay any questions uh uh, no it, it seems fairly straightforward am i missing something well we'll find out in a moment okay the first thing is astronaut ice cream dehydrated astronaut ice cream okay second thing the book good night moon the third thing, the pigtailed girlfriend of the villain from the movie Moonraker. You know that James Bond movie Moonraker? Mm-hmm. She's got pigtails. I think she has braces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are your three things. Astronaut ice cream, the book Good Night Moon, and the pigtailed girlfriend with braces who is in the movie Moonraker. Well, you know, I, I have to say I've never read Good Night Moon. And you're pretty gay. So if you haven't come, come within the orbit of that, that makes it automatically less queer. I suppose so. Um, astronaut ice cream. I guess, you know, in the 70s, we sure did like Tang. And um, I, I think, you know, it's a certain trend and there's something um, tidy about it. There's something certainly convenient about it. And those may be things that might uh, uh, appeal to, to gay people who really just don't have enough time for anything or time for any nonsense. And here's some desiccated ice cream. Uh, it depends how many calories are in it, too. If Great it is uh, a reasonable calorie count, then yes, I'd say the gays would probably devour that after a two-hour workout. 
Um, and I think, though, I really think just that I can't imagine having a dramatic gay moment and then eating uh, dehydrated ice cream. I think you would really dig into something expensive and creamy. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it seems a bit practical and not indulgent yeah. in a way that I might encourage a queer person to snack. It's a little utilitarian. Now, I think if you were in space, however, a gay person would insist on having ice cream um, when you were having, we needed a, a little bit of, um, you needed to eat your feelings. <laughs> That's and, right. um, you know, if somebody said a harsh word to you, one of the other astronauts maybe was, um, you know, uh, got out of line yeah. and you had to straighten them out. Yes. And, um, and then you just needed to, you just needed to eat something. Then that, that desiccated ice cream would be a godsend if you were in space. Could be real good. And it does simultaneously seem like empty calories, but also airy in a way where it's like, um, maybe, maybe real good for you, like low in fat and keto when I have no idea what that is, but, um, keto. And the fact that, um, I'm, I'm eating ice cream and it's uh, dust essentially. It's <laughs> like, true. there's no calories in it really. And, um, you know, and that you can still paint those pants on, those space pants. A hundred percent. And in space, as we've seen, especially through 70s sci-fi movies like Logan's Run, in space and in the future, all of our clothes shall be tight or not there at all in the case of, uh, what's her face? Who played Jessica Six? God bless. I can't remember her name, but she was. In She's wearing that little like sheer teddy. Yes, yes, yes. Literally sheer. Um, like a like my mother's sheer drapes that she was <laughs> naked underneath. So, but um, Good Night Moon, uh, tell me something about it. Good Night Moon is basically, you said you haven't read it. So it's the story of a bunny who is saying good night to everything around it. Like, Good night to the cow jumping over the moon. Good night to my room. Yeah, good yeah. night to the lights. Yeah, no, I, I yes, no, I've, I've heard about that. Yeah, that is the gayest thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and why? Yeah. Oh, just a, just a little gay bunny, like just loving everybody in the world and just wanting to love everybody <laughs> before kind of the world beats that out of you. Still pure? Absolutely. Just a little gay bunny who just, just wants to be loved and love everything that he or she sees is yes i think so i think that is i think that definitely is the queerest but also simultaneously performative where it's like yeah okay you're saying good night to the red balloon we get that you can appreciate aesthetic a bit over the top yeah well it's it's a lot you know and i guess that's also a nice um, gay quality you could attribute to it is that it's just overkill you know it's just a lot yeah, it's just, a bit yes, extra. no i have to say i have to say connect to everybody and everything <laughs> i have to do it no you think this is how it has to go <laughs> you don't understand all these things are are waiting for me to say good night to them so we've got good night moon at the top astronaut ice cream at the bottom which puts the girlfriend from moonraker in the middle i don't know i mean that is is definitely a kind of a a tomboyish beauty which is what i think of when i think of that girl with the kind of corn fed she's juvenile because she's wearing braces but she's still kind of a tease you know yeah she and she's kind of got like an olive oil popeye olive oil dress on i just dropped it in the chat if you want a visual for moonraker her girl oh <laughs> yes 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 i remember her you got her yeah with the glasses yeah those glasses yes yeah because you know i mean the thing is 
that you know that when she takes those glasses off. My favorite thing as a child was I loved you'd watch uh, Merv Griffin or the Mike Douglas show and there'd be some glamorous movie star and they'd have really big cool glasses on. <laughs> and that, that was always like, and from that era, that was always a sign of someone who's just being themselves. You know, they still look amazing, but they'd have these big glasses on. I think. She's so down to earth. Oh gosh, I wish I had big glasses, right? She's wearing glasses. She's so beautiful, but she's wearing glasses. So you know that that, that girl from Moonraker could just let her hair down, take those glasses off, and she's just a bombshell, right? And she's your friend from high school, that, that majestic unicorn who walked through the halls. Yes, yes. So that girl's kind of a makeover waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, a low effort makeover. Yeah, I could see the gay appeal of it to go, oh my God, that girl would be so gorgeous. If only she just did this with her hair and she did that. Oh my God, can you just imagine where you're just, suddenly somebody is, It's that's the ultimate makeover dream. Somebody's like, so like a supermodel you, they take out those out those braids and take those glasses off so um yeah i would say then i'm still gonna say goodnight moon is the queerest and then the girl from moonraker would come in number two and the desiccated ice cream i mean there's arguments for all of these things but that's probably where i would place them i'll tell you know what you're right there are arguments for all i'll tell you what i wouldn't let my kid near any of those if I wanted them to have a hope in hell. Well, no, and I wouldn't even be able to make any kind of assertion about it if a culture club had not made me gay. <laughs> My judgment is already skewed, so ask someone else. Yeah, I've already been ruined, so... Um... If you remember nothing else, remember Jay Sean as the cautionary tale monomyth. <laughs> just look look at that, that timeline and all along the way, just do the opposite. Okay, so what you got to plug, Jay Sean? Bring it. Well, um, anything that I do, you know, I have some albums and some scribblings, things that I've written that you can look at, or I have a podcast with Tyler Check called Next Stop Isolation Station. But any of these things you can uh, consume at my website, jshawn.com. That's all one word, J-S-E-A-N.com. jshawn.com. The J, of course, stands for uh, justice, which is what was served here today. Listen, I could so Jay Sean, thank you for sharing with all of, time, of us what made you queer. And I do want to tell you, anything after you this conversation, you've made me even more queer than I was before. And I'm both grateful and furious about that. Mm, yeah, I only look forward to making you a queerer as the years <laughs> go by. I mean, you're pretty queer. You're pretty queer as it is. I'm pretty queer. I have been in a full split for the duration of this recording. <laughs> and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So from down here on the floor, oh, yeah. let me say thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and you stay fabulous, my friend. You too, my dear. Okay, that is it. That is our show. Thank you so much to Jay Sean for the lols. And remember, if you have something to say, please send in your letter to you made me queer at gmail.com. This is your chance. There is room in the mailbag. So get in there before it fills up with uh, junk mail and Eminem Meat Shop Flyers, okay? Okay. Cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram handle is at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every Thursday, but for our debut month, March, we will also be releasing new episodes every Monday. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.